listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Paige Wilson. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. You're listening to Oil & Gas This Week podcast brought to you by IBM. This is the show for busy pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Thanks, everybody, for joining us for episode 205. How's it going, Mark? Other than we just had the storm of the century, which is really just a bad thunderstorm that's not as bad as the thunderstorm we had last three days ago happened. Oh, no, there's more to come. <laughs> is there more to come? Yeah, we need the rain. I got to say that. And I'm not a fan of the pollen, obviously. Yeah. And speaking of being a fan, you know what I'm a fan of? What? Our newest show, All Gas Pitch Podcast with Warren. Oh, Warren's great. He's a trip. It's a great show. And so people, we have for years not allowed companies to buy their way on the podcast. And then we said, why not? So we literally launched a show. If you're in sales or marketing and you want to pitch your product or process or tool or whatever to the oil and gas industry, reach out to Warren and see if you can get on his show. Now, we do more than just the podcast. You get the podcast, you get professional dual camera video shot, and you get to have all that for your own marketing efforts. So if you want to learn more, reach out to Warren. We'll put his contact information in the show notes. But it's just a funny show, and it's very informative. And then I had something happen that I couldn't believe happened. I had a senior person with one of the largest super majors in the world go, Mark, I love that idea. I go, why? He goes, I don't want to have to talk to salespeople to see what their product or service is. I don't want to have to give them my business card because they're going to bug me. But now I can go to Warren's podcast and just see what their product or service is, and I like it. I can reach out to them. So there's some traction there, folks. Yeah, well, let's see how it works. pans out. Speaking of panning out, I think we panhandled enough to get some reviews. <laughs> if you say so. Yeah, we got a couple. First one's from Brian Schultz, five-star review have been listening to your show for years and find the podcast extremely helpful. Not in oil and gas, which is, that's really cool that he's listening, but work in Texas. So thankful for keeping me updated on the industry news. Thank you. That is cool. We have a non-oil and gas person listening to our podcast. Thank you, Brian. I have a few of those for oil and gas industry leaders. Yeah, well, of course, for your show. (laughs) (laughs) And then we have another five star and it says, keep on keeping on. Hey guys, my name is Matt Hager. I am an oil natural gas and coal attorney in eastern Kentucky. I do mostly upstream work, including title abstracts and leasing. What's up, Landy? I am a regular listener and have been listening for about six months. I have listened to most all of the old episodes. Man, that's a lot to cram. I love the first Friday Q&As and would like to see Q&As expanded to twice a month and 0.5 or maybe (laughs) 0.25 episodes, LOL. I would like to hear more about shell and conventional plays, in particular, which plays are hot and which ones are not. Thanks, guys, and keep on keeping on. That's some cold barons. Well, think about it. The problem is time. And the the first Friday Q&As, we're lucky to get one in a month. But we'll take that under consideration. Yeah, why not? Maybe even make it a more regular part. Just depends on if people can keep sending us quality questions, which we actually get quite a few. So, yeah, thanks, Matt, for the idea. And, and we'll consider it and may just work it into something in the future. Yeah. And if we do, we'll call it the Matt Hager section. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get the news stories page. What's up first? Well, this one's interesting. Google says it won't build AI tools for oil and gas drillers. Yeah, so I got two separate chains of thought around this. All right, so what happened is about two weeks ago, Greenpeace put out a report showing how the tech giants are helping the oil and gas industry use artificial intelligence to find hydrocarbons around the world. And so the tech companies had a choice in how they wanted to respond to it. Google's choice was to say, well, you know what? We're not going to do that with the oil and gas companies. We're not going to give them the AI tools to help them find more hydrocarbons. 
And of course, you know me, it bugged the bejeebies out of me because Google doesn't mind making money off oil and gas, but now they don't want to help us be more efficient and more environmentally responsible. Unlike some other companies we know, like your sponsor on Oil and Gas This Week, that yep. goes, you know what? We got you back. Yeah. Right? The energy industry is going through a transition. We want to be there to help with the change, and we're going to be here to help you. And it's the same way with Microsoft. And then I dug into the numbers page. And guess what? Google's percentage of cloud space or the amount of cloud usage you get from oil and gas is extremely small. Who leads the pack in oil and gas is Amazon Web Services, uh-huh, sponsor, exactly. and Microsoft. So then I started thinking about it. I go, you know what? I don't think this – I definitely think this is politically motivated, absolutely. But I think the bigger picture here is Google didn't want to go to its shareholders and say they couldn't compete with AWS and Microsoft and oil and gas. So now what they're saying is, oh, look, we just won't do it, right? I think it's a way for them to save face with their shareholders because they couldn't gain market share in this industry, even though they've been trying for a long time. So, Womp, womp. Yeah, there's a couple other tech companies that politically, publicly say they don't like our industry, and yet they don't mind making money off of us, which I find so hypocritical. But, you know, this is Google's law. Loss. And it, to Google's loss is to their competitors' advantage. And so I'm really happy that their biggest competitor is a sponsor of ours. You know, yeah, let, no kidding, right? Let, let them rake in the bucks. Amen to that. What's next? All right. Few U.S. oil and gas firms return small business COVID-19 loans. Yeah, and this is to be expected if you don't know this. And if you listen to the show, I don't know how you could not know this. But most of the hydrocarbons produced in the U.S. are not from the very large majors and super majors and large independents. They're from small independent operators. Literally, three or four guys or men and women or a family may own a half a dozen wells somewhere, and that's how they make a living. Well, that definitely falls under the small business COVID-19 incentives, including the loans. So, of course, very few of these small businesses would return it because they fit the criteria the same way in any other vertical. So I'm not quite sure why somebody wanted to call out the oil and gas industry. But, you know, this is the right thing to do. Now, we did have a couple of uh, oil and gas companies go, you know what? We applied for this. And then when we got the money, we realized that we ourselves don't meet the criteria. So Dawson Geophysical, they returned $6.4 million, right? They could have used that money to keep their operations running. But once they figured out they didn't meet the criteria, they gave it back. It's one of my favorite things about this industry is even though we're large and we're global and everything, it's still an industry of people doing business with people. And this company realized that it would be better off for the people of the industry to give that money back. And they did. But, you know, it's not an issue in the oil and gas industry to any more or less extreme than in any other vertical. And once again, you know, as an industry, we've never had to deal with COVID-19 business loans, right? This is new no, for everybody. So is... mistakes will be made. So, you know, I'm glad that the companies are doing the right thing, but this is just standard kind of operating procedure. All right. Next one. Industry bodies partner on inclusive campaign. Yeah, I actually really like this. So this is an article about the UK oil and gas industry. And you had a couple of companies that had pulled together to actually want to improve safety in supply chain. One of the things that they're working on is they want to make sure that not only they improve in safety, but while they're in the process of improving safety, they can also make sure they focus on what I'm going to call the gender balance, yeah. right? So the ratio of male to female employees, but they want to make sure they do it in a way that's safe. So what they're not doing is say, look, you have an absence of this gender, so you need to hire this gender. Because that means they're going to hire people not based upon the requirements for the job. Right. What they're doing is just promoting the fact that you can have a different gender in that job that's just as safe and doing just as good a job as whatever the other gender is. So good move by these two groups. This article in Rig Zone, I think the groups is Access Network and Step Challenge and Safety. And they, they've working together around supply chain to make sure that there's more inclusivity, especially offshore, and that everybody's staying safe. I love this. Oil prices surging after plunging into abyss. 
I didn't check today, but I think we're around $33, $34 for WTI. And I cannot believe I'm going to say I'm happy that we're in the 30s now. It's better than the negatives. <laughs> yeah. And so what's happened, and, and we've talked about this in our last show, what's happened is the global demand starting to pick up. And then the oversupply that was being produced by Russia and Saudi Arabia and the U.S. has been curtailed. And so this is just a natural market reaction to that where prices start creeping back up. And we hope that prices will continue to creep back up, and we think they will. The biggest thing is not so much the production, although it's great that everybody's clamped down on production, but the consumption. So, you know, the more people that drive, the more people that fly, the more volleyballs we make, the better for the industry. And once we can get this stored oil out of the system, right. I, I am absolutely convinced we'll be at $65 a barrel by the first or second quarter of next year. But we just need to get there. So but this is good to see the price creeping back up. All right, next article. Total lands $15 billion financing commitment for Mozambique LNG project. So Total has been in Mozambique forever, and the old Anadarko is also doing a whole bunch of work in there. Let me tell you what's cool about this. So they're involved in this as a super major. They're involved in this as an upstream operator. But this article is about how they're using their supply of capital, or basically think of it as cash, or how big a checkbook they have, to actually make money off financing another round of this project. So they're basically coming in offering the capital to finish this round, making a profit on it, but that profit is still less than what these companies could get in the general market. So it's helping everybody. Total's making money off capital that's basically sitting in their checking account. They're helping other companies continue and to complete this project, which is going to help the country of Mozambique and its people. Exactly. And then it's going to help the companies that are involved to produce this natural gas, which eventually will reduce pollutions in this part of Africa. So, I mean, this, how could this, this is just a win-win all the way around. And it's just really cool. A lot of this money is going to go back to the Mozambique government, who's gotten a lot of their corruption cleaned up. And so this money is not only going to go to the government, it's going to end up in the people. It's going to build schools and hospitals and roads. So yeah. This really, and jobs. And just jobs. In, just in general. Yeah. So this really is a win-win for all around. This is, a, this is a feel-good story that's legit. So good for them. All right. So the U.S. EPA draft would lift U.S. biofuel blending mandate slightly into 2021. I could spend three hours bashing this. So let me give you at a high level. So in the U.S., in the past, political organizations thought a great idea would be to produce ethanol like they do in Brazil and then require the refineries to blend in their gasoline. Well, Paige, that's equivalent of not that we have any competition in podcasters, but that's the equivalent of the government saying, Mark and Page on Oil and Gas This Week, you have to give one of your competing podcasters 20 minutes of airspace on your show. That's not right. And ethanol, even though it's a great beverage to wind down the day with, <laughs> ethanol is not a great fuel for modern internal combustion engines. It's hydroponic, absorbs water out the air, which means if you store it, it absorbs water. You can't ship it in pipelines because it causes corrosion, and it's not profitable. The government subsidizes the corn farmers a dollar a gallon, and they sell an ethanol for a dollar seven cents a gallon. Well, if you remove that dollar subsidy, that's only seven cents, which is not enough to even produce the ethanol. So it's a crooked system. And I could go on and on about how there's this whole layer of renewable fuel credits businesses that are being made off this law that's never meant to have been there. So basically, actually, let me get into that because yeah, no, know yeah, this. yeah, 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 especially the fuel credits. Yeah. So refineries are required to have X amount of ethanol in their systems. And the way they track that is with ethanol dollars, like think of monopoly money, right? right. It's called a renewable fuel credit. Well, Paige and I can go buy a tanker truck of gasoline right now from any terminal in any of the refineries around here, go buy ethanol, pour it in there. We have just generated monopoly money. The moment we pour the ethanol in that tanker truck, we regenerate renewable fuel credits. You and I don't need them. 
But guess what? The Baytal refinery needs it, right? And so they'll buy them from us. So we will sell them this monopoly money that we made by pouring ethanol into a tank of gasoline. Then we take that tanker truck to the nearest gas station and sell it to them at cost. We don't make the money off the gasoline, ethanol blend. We make the money off the removal of fuel credits. Right. So now we're adding cost to consumer because guess who pays for those credits, really? The people that buy the gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel. Right. right? And so this is just a mess. And people will point out to me all the time, well, it works well in Brazil. Well, this isn't Brazil. To your point, it's not Brazil. And there's a part of the process, not to get too deep into organic chemistry, but in Brazil, they don't make ethanol from corn. They make it from sugarcane. Right. The sugarcane process, you basically squeeze the juice out of the sugarcane. You now have a, a solution of sugar and water, which yeast grows very well in. You then put the yeast in, you ferment, and then you distill it, and you have ethanol. In the U.S., we add an extra step because we don't have the ability to grow that much sugarcane. We make it from corn. Corn has no sugar in it. Ah, right? It's starch. Right. So you have to malt it, right? If you're at a malted milkshake, I'm about to tell you where that malt flavor comes from. They take the corn seed, which is the corn kernel on the cob. They dry it out. Then they wet it and keep it wet, and it sprouts into a baby corn plant. Then they dry it out again. When that corn plant sprouts, it turns the carbohydrates in the seed to sugars. sugar. Yeah. That extra step adds hundreds of thousands of gallons of fresh water that's not needed other than to malt the corn, and it adds cost. So we cannot make ethanol at the same price point as you can in a tropical country like Brazil. And it's not even good for the cars. Nobody will give you the same warranty on an E85 engine, which is made to run 25% ethanol, as it will on a non-E85 engine, because it's not even good for the car. So these renewable fuel standards need to be thrown out the window. The uh, EPA needs to lift this blending mandate forever. And in this case, they're lifting it a little bit in 2021. It just needs to go away. And people that depend on ethanol to make a living, you need to compete in the marketplace, quite frankly. And i tell you a cool twist of fate. They're actually making a lot of money right now. Guess what? Doing what? What? Making hand sanitizer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's another market for this ethanol, which should not be put in my car. I was so, like, oh, moonshine? <laughs> moonshine. Where are we going with that's this? That's even a better one, too. But <laughs> but yeah, this just needs to go away. And I wish more people would pay attention to this because, you know, if we got rid of all these government requirements about trying to force us into a certain mold and just let the free market control what we're doing, not only would it be better for us, it'd be better for the environment. So I'm glad the EPA is, is changing the blending mandates, but it just needs to go away. Slowly but surely. Okay, the Don't next call me Shirley. Whatever. Anyway, the world's top oil importer is expanding its storage capacity. So, Paige, who do you think the top oil importer is in the world? I would hope it was us. No. But we it's used probably... To be, we used to be the top. Yeah, China. China. So, very good. China's the top oil importer in the world. And actually, a lot of our oil and gas economy depends on how much they need to import. And every year, other than this COVID-19 mess, every year the amount they need to import goes up. It's just how, what percentage does it go up? We like it around 2 or 3 or 4%. We don't like it when it's 1% or so. And so one of the things that China is doing, which I think is awesome, especially in this low crude price market, is they're building a whole bunch of storage. Now, here's the, the interesting thing. They're building this storage to try to capture a bunch of this low crude that's on the market right now, which makes total sense. But guess what they want to do? That's called phase one. Guess what they want to do with phase two with their storage? What's that? They're getting into unconventionals. Really? They've been fracking for a while. And they, they're getting where they're figuring out. And so what they want to do is factorize their fracking efforts, the same thing that we do here in the U.S., and then have storage already built in those areas that have the right geology so they can go ahead and store the oil so that as time goes on and they can start building pipeline capacity, they can then tap into that storage and get the pipeline and bring the hydrocarbons to their people. Almost the opposite of what we did here in the U.S. In the U.S., when we went through the Shell Revolution, 
we had no place to put the oil. And so what we thought of, so let's just build more pipelines. Well, it's easier here in the U.S. because the cost and the length of the pipelines are actually shorter than they are in China. And we have this existing pipeline infrastructure that's been right. around for 100 years. China doesn't have that. So sort of like if you're a new country and you need to put phone systems in for your people, you just skip putting copper in the ground. And you just go straight to wireless because it's just easier and it makes more sense. That's what China's doing here. So they're going to start unconventionals. They're going to have storage already built there that will be empty because by this time they will have sold the oil they're buying now for the storage. And then as they store these hydrocarbons in their shell plays, they can have time to build the pipelines to offload the storage. I, I think this is just, just genius. And it's going to be really interesting to see what happens as the Chinese move into unconventionals. They have the geology, as does most of the world. But what they don't have is this negative public perception because it's a communist country. So literally, if you don't like fracking in China, I'm pretty sure a government official will come knock on your door, which – not that I would ever want that to happen here, but I would laugh if it would happen here. And so I don't think they're going to have any of the negative public perception issues that we have here in Europe, which kind of worries me because they have a lot of shale geology. If things go the right way, I would not be surprised in 15 years if China is leading the shale revolution, which is kind of sad. Let's not let it get there, U.S. Yes, please. No, don't. All right. So the next article is Europe set to unveil its $500 billion green deal. <laughs> I know. I chose this. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, no, this is good. So what Europe is doing, and well, I could spend hours just talking about Brexit and everything else, how this is going to affect this. But basically what's happened is they have something called the Green Deal Strategy. And so they're putting an economic relief package like we've done here at the U.S. And they're trying to not only stimulate the renewable part of the energy industry, but they're also trying to use this package to reach net zero CO2 emissions by 2050. So the problem with this right out the gate is that it's very politically motivated. I mean, you can tell right now where this money's aimed at. It's politically motivated. What I really wish they would, and I, I can't fault them too much because if you look at some of our bills that we have passed for economic recovery, if you look at all the pork that's been thrown in by both sides, I'm not just going to say the Democrats yeah. by both sides, it should almost be criminal. But it's the same thing here in Europe. It's just in Europe, it's to a bigger degree. So, you know, the plan will put money as recovery instrument to do things like boosting the sales of electronic vehicles, building out electronic vehicle recharging stations, exempting electronic vehicles from taxes, retrofit existing buildings for solar and wind. I think there's 10 billion euros going to renewable energy projects and then another 30 billion to be funneled into technology that cut emissions. Right. And then what's left. They're going to help with their hydrocarbon industry, which their hydrocarbon industry by yeah, now. Yeah, well, I mean, they're going to need something to make all this stuff out of. <laughs> yeah, very true. But their hydrocarbon industry in 2020 is nothing like it was in the 1990s. It, it's been decimated by laws and taxations built upon negative public perception. And so what the people of Europe don't realize is now their energy comes from Russia. Russia has a chokehold on Europe and Europe has hydrocarbons. It's just they've decided for their own political reasons not to get it out the ground. And so, you know, Europe's going through the same COVID-19 lockdown crisis. We're going through the same economic crisis caused by the slowdown of the world's economy, the same political crisis, but in a different degree. And this Green Deal, it's not going to make things I mean, the, and the, like the major two countries involved in that, like Germany and France, like they're anti-fracking, anti-everything. Anti-everything. And yeah. don't get me started about the German interwind program, which actually made them build more coal plants to supplement the lack of electricity which from solar. Goes off, which goes off the new Green Deal that I yeah. what, that I talked to. Oh, who was that that I interviewed? John Huffmeister. Yeah, John Huffmeister. Yeah, he, he's read that entire thing. So, yeah, so you know, to our, our brothers and sisters in Europe, 
I'm glad that you're doing something to try to help stimulate the economy. If you would have asked my opinion, I would have not earmarked the money this way, but I get it. It's your country. So, you know, at least at some point, some jobs we created all this. How about I just end it right there? Okay, that's fine. I'll move on. Okay, FERC approves Alaska LNG project through viability and doubt. Yeah, so this is the state-owned, whatever the Alaska state-owned gas line development country is. I can't remember what it is. But they're building about 800 miles of pipe from the North Slope. And it's going to pull a gas out of the North Slope and then bring it to one of their ports where there's a LNG plant or a LNG plant being built. And so this is a, a great opportunity for the state of Alaska and for the people of Alaska to actually tap into another part of their hydrocarbon mix. Alaska has a lot of gas. It sounds bad, huh? <laughs> well, if we're going to bring up fart jokes, yeah, that does sound bad. And so, but this is a way for them to take that gas off the North Slope, which is the state of Alaska itself can't use all the gas they produce. And this way they can convert it into LNG and then ship it out to different parts of the world that want to buy that LNG, which is then jobs and prosperity for the state of Alaska. And it's kind of cool because this has been going on for years. This is a joint venture project with ConocoPhillips, ExxonMobil, BP, and the, whatever the Alaskan... Uh, Alaskan Gasline Development Corp. Yeah. And so this has been going on for a long time. Things are coming together. They've had some pushback on it, but it looks like they've got the final bit approved. And so, you know, it's not going to be that much longer for this thing starts being built, which is jobs. And then once they start exporting LNG, it's just prosperity and less air pollution for whoever buys that LNG. Which the funny thing is, I would not be surprised because of the scope of this project and for what I think the price points could be and how close Alaska is to Russia. I would not be surprised when this thing goes fully online, when all the trains are lit, that Russia starts buying our LNG. I was actually just thinking that. How cool would that be? Just, I mean, it just make me laugh. I mean, it could just make economic sense, but right. it would just make me laugh to be able to have an article and talk about how Russians buying our LNG. And I think it's probably going to happen. Quite possibly. And if you don't know what FERC stands for, it's Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Oh, yeah, I should have brought that up. That's what I'm here for. Yep, it's exactly what you're here for. And then speaking of what else you're here for, what are we giving away? T-shirts. Just any old T-shirt? Nope. Pretty T-shirt. Oh, yeah, I removed the uh, picture that to describe it. <laughs> it was getting in my way so I could read stuff. But, yeah, it's a shirt I helped design. That's all I got. So they're really cool shirts. We spent some money on these. They're cut for men and women. You get the right size IBM logo on one sleeve, OGG and logo on the other, pump jack print on the front, and then under that pump jack print is a unique serial number. But doesn't it also come with a OGGN tumbler? Oh, that's why I have it. Yeah, you also get it inside of OGGN tumbler to keep your adult beverage of choice at whatever temperature you like. So it's a really great deal. It's free. Go to the show notes, click on the link, enter. If you don't win, you can enter next week. And then I've said this a couple of times, I'll say it again. We've intentionally quit delivering these shirts for a little while to make sure that all critical supplies can get delivered. Well, I think it's almost time to lift that. I think we are going to lift that. I think in June we're going to lift that. So okay. we're just a few days away. But folks, go enter and win because there's a bunch of cool stuff coming on after that. And then, ooh. Yeah, the next. Let's yeah. do it. What's All the right. weekly recount? 325. 7% down from last week. That's to be expected. Right. Also be expected is join our street team. If you haven't done it, go do it. Gosh darn it. It's very easy. You go to Facebook.com. You answer your questions and then I will approve you. Otherwise, you will be denied. And I have denied three of you. Yeah. And the three of you were probably bots. So we ask questions, make sure you're a real person because we care about you. We care about the real people in this world. 
But go join the street team. You basically ask you to help us with our social media. And then speaking of stuff that's social, that's not media, is this monthly email list, which has not went out in three months because we can't go anywhere. But when life gets back to normal, if you'd like to be informed of all the oil and gas events that are going on, plus the ones that are not public, plus discounts and special offers, go sign up for it. It's free. We put it in your inbox once a month. And then we're not doing any traveling, but somewhere down the road, we plan to. I can't wait. <laughs> and then if you want any of us to come speak at your event, conference, expo, sales kickoff, whatever, let me know. Tim and I love to do that sort of stuff. We could even bring a live podcast. And Paige, I've had several of these happen virtually. So yeah. I've, I've done, I think, three now virtually, and I have one more in the works. So we could even do it virtually, although we're new to that. We'll give you a big price discount because we do it virtually because I, I can do it in gym shorts and you won't know. <laughs> and then first Friday Q&A, that's right around the corner. The goal is to educate our audience, not to stump Paige and I. So if you have a question, go to All and Gas this week. And that's actually next week that we're doing first Friday Q&A. Hey, we're staying on schedule, Mark. <laughs> that's different. Actually, people have noticed you've gotten a lot of compliments from our audience's on coming to the show and bringing a different viewpoint. And I'm pretty sure you'll start getting a bunch of compliments on the, keeping us on schedule and making sure we're producing an episode every week, which page is the reason for that. Speaking of the other reason for that, LinkedIn. You were really bad with segues today. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> so good join our, our LinkedIn group. We're actually in June. I can't remember the date. It's Thursday, June something, 18th. It's still kind of secret. So of our audience of a million downloads. Keep it to yourself. We're going to do something really cool, and we're going to actually live stream it on LinkedIn. It'll be our first time doing it, so you should watch just the comedy of errors that we're going to have. But <laughs> we're going to make the announcement soon, but this is something that nobody's ever done in the podcast world, in the Only Guys podcast world, and we're going to do it, and it's going to be exciting and got a whole bunch of big companies involved, and it's going to be fun. So stay tuned. Pay attention to our social. Pay attention to LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook. That's where you hear about all that stuff. Anything else we need to talk about, Paige? I think that covers it all. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. All right. So let's get out of here. Remember, folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. And here are our events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck. So due to current circumstances, of course, we are not able to have any in-person events. So I have nothing of that nature to update you guys on. But we have been hosting some virtual events. So OGGN is wanting to offer free webinars, live happy hours, etc. during this time. Since these events are not scheduled out as far in advance as in-person events, we would like to keep you guys updated via Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. So be sure to keep checking up on that and we'll keep you guys posted on anything we're offering. It has been free. We want to offer you guys value during this time that we're all at home. So please continue checking in and joining us for these virtual events. We are looking forward to seeing you guys whenever we're able to have in-person events and hope you're staying safe and sound. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.